Welcome to Mythos Podcast, a journey through world folklore, region by region, country by country. Here you will experience folk tales and legends through music-accompanied retellings of traditional lore. With brief introductions, the emphasis is on the stories and the rich landscapes and cultures that birth them. Enjoy the riches of the folk imagination. Welcome to Folklorica Baltica, an exploration of folkloric realms in Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. Episode 4 Agle, Queen of the Serpents. When snakes waken from their reptilian winter sluggishness, or brumation, at around 60 degrees Fahrenheit, their strange rejuvenation has a magical quality about it. This process of awakening must have conjured in the folk of centuries past a sense that such reptiles were full of dynamic power and vitality. This preoccupation with the deep magic of the snake can be seen in both prehistoric art and more contemporary folk art, where serpent symbols can often be found. Jautis, literally grass snake, was a symbol of fertility and was the sacred animal of Sole, the sun goddess, who is seen as a jug or ladle, her radiance a golden liquid poured onto a world that welcomed her abundance. Indeed, encountering a snake meant either birth or marriage. In this episode's panorama of ancient woodland, northern seas, and shamanic underworlds, the world-traversing magic of the grass snake clashes with the bone-deep force of ancestral longing and family drama. From forest pools to pearl-white sands, from black deep ocean caverns to a verdant underworld, we will explore the magic landscapes of Lithuania in one of her most famous pieces of folklore. I would once again like to offer my own note of gratitude to Eva, my Lithuanian patron, who has very graciously secured books and resources for me that would have been very expensive otherwise, and indeed in bringing the stories of history's anonymous poor to the forefront, I often have to refer to books and resources that can be a bit pricey to obtain, and if you'd like to help, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon. And of course, without further ado, I will bring you Agle, Queen of the Serpents. northern forest where the summer sun whispered gold, where the sun goddess's bright amber soul fanned out shafts of sunlight like an ethereal peacock tail, where the golden glow of sun soul blazed and danced with the wind shifts. There were splashes and shouts and shrieks of laughter. And in that northern forest looking on was Oak, the strong and stalwart with gnarled old sailor's limbs pockmarked like venerable old castle walls. There was sturdy ash, heroic length and thick tresses. There was birch, agile, bark lily-white and accentuated with ink-black brush strokes. And there was aspen, 
quaking yet glimmering silver in wind and sun. But over them all was spruce, with her ever-verting crown arrow-like pointing, piercing the heights, always humming a great green, be it fierce winds or the bake of midsummer sun. And with old goddess flourishing grace, spruce burgeons from pointed crown to thick-hipped fullness, all those soft needle fronds atop a grounded trunk pillar. Indeed, in the middle of that forest was a sun-bathed pool fed by clear groundwater, and the splashes and dives and laughter of maiden joy continued. For Agle was bathing with her sisters. With freedom warm and cool, Agle swam and glided through blue waters dappled with sunlight and shade. Yet, even in that childlike glade, a murmur and a tremor and a silent dampening came over Agle and her sisters. There was mending to be done, food to prepare, animals to care for. And when with one last playful burst, they shrieked and splashed, making their way to the edge of the pond where their garments hung on branches. Agle grabbed her shift quickly and draped it over her head, pushing her arms through the sleeves and felt a long, gliding coldness along her arm, a symmetrical series of tiny ridges gripping her water-cold skin and then pushing forward. With wide eyes, she froze and looked at her right arm and saw a slender tube wrapping around her arm. Now, Agle's sisters had already left for home, and her yelp remained unheard. But then a silence descended onto the crown of her golden head and seeped into every nook and cranny. A hush and a pregnant pause blanketed that grove. Agle, whisper breathed the triangular green head that now emerged onto the top of her hand. Agle. The girl said nothing, gaping at the emerald-eyed snake which had contorted and slithered so that it looked Egle straight in the face, its body wrapped around her arm. Go away, Agle said in response. Off with you to your den and to your king. Agle, came that whisper breath again, and its head glided back and forth, as if examining her. I will leave you to dress in peace, if, you pledge yourself to me. Now, the thought came over her to grab the serpent and dash him against a tree. But the thought of harming anything was sickening to her. And after all, this serpent spoke. What else could it do? So she bargained and pleaded, but the snake would not be moved. And in the end, she said, I pledge to you my very own self if you'll only leave me to dress and return to my family. And her heart dropped with the intensity, the echo of those words in that strange grove. And with that, the serpent seemed to bow its head to her, something like a smile in its eyes. And it slithered out of her sleeve, dropped to the forest floor and went into the forest thicket with the silent quickness of shade and dawn. Adle stood spruce tall and with old goddess flourishing grace as her mother and father and brothers and even sisters grabbed tools and knives and even torches. In the cottage clearing, emerging from the dark forest into the twilight haze of the sky-facing yard, hundreds, no thousands, of undulating graceful snakes moved through the grass rank by rank, and as each rank neared the door of the cottage, they raised their heads and stared in perfect stillness at Agle. When she moved slightly to the right or left, the serpents followed her with their gaze, 
Agle, they whisper breathed in unison. We have come to claim you as our master's bride and our future queen. It is time to come with us. Agle's father spat on the ground, defying and defiling this foul agreement. And with crude tools poised as weapons, Agle's kin surrounded her. The standoff buzzed to the heavens, and the serpent host reared up their heads, hissing in unison. We will consult with the soul, the sun goddess, said a thousand snake voices, and she will pour white heat down upon your heads and the heads of your wheat. All things green and fresh will drown in the burning deluge. We will call upon grim storm clouds to drive leeching rain into your fields so that harvest rots in the suckling swamp. And when all is laid waste, you will weep and gnaw on birch bark with desperate teeth. Silence. Father and brothers lowered their weapons in defeat. Agle bowed her head and stepped forward the wailing of her family swallowed by the night opaque forest. This serpent army was not to be tricked or defeated. And as she walked in the middle of the slithering mass and deep, deep into that northern forest, she heard the snakes whispering, whispering, Thank you, Kaku, for warning us of their trickery. Thank you, bird friend. Adelaide glared up at the cuckoo with its yellow eyes and pert tail, the busybody of the forest. So it was this little wretch with its hollow, wooden-sounding call that had alerted the serpent host. No, neither the goose or the sheep or the calf wrapped in linen had been a sufficient replacement for her, though perhaps they might have been if it wasn't for the meddling cuckoo. And as Agle conceded through quiet tears, it seemed the solid trees and dense foliage were now but a darkened whisper, the departing hush of a mother after lullaby farewells, the vacuous feeling of a mocking, empty home once a loved one has departed. Where spruce legions met bone-white beaches of fine hourglass sands, the millinery of serpents amassed by the sea and the sibilance of snake whispers mingled with the shushing waves. They hissed and reared their heads like cobras and wove back and forth as if singing and dancing, as if summoning. And at first, Agle thought they must be summoning another, a spirit of the sea, perhaps, or their master. But then she felt her own gaze blur and lengthen, felt thought and protest and posturing fear suddenly fade. So when the serpent surged forward as if commanded, she followed, ankles in sea foam, then calves caressed by cold, then hips, then torso and waist. And when she looked down into the water, she saw all around her in every direction and far beneath, the wriggling, swimming serpents looking like eels yet slender and symmetrically scaled. As her head submerged, Agle's eyeline met those of a hundred swimming serpents, and a surge of them encased her, as if shepherding her down to the depths. A burning panic in her lungs made her thrash and kick and claw at watery nothing to get back to the surface. Yet, the serpents used their slithering magics to bring her down, down, down. And when Agla took a breath, expecting the choke burn of cruel cold water in her lungs, she found she could breathe. She could breathe. And with the rushing, elegant flow of all that belonged to the sea, she found herself darting like a fish over the white sanded bottom of the lagoon 
the lithe bodies of the serpents forming a current around her. And she laughed, laughed as shoals of tiny silver fish formed their brotherhood about them and navigated flickering green seaweeds. Then they slowed to a stop and Agla dug her toes into the soft sand of the lagoon's deepest depth. She froze, for amidst a thicket of seaweed, a pair of large green eyes gazed at her. And when a tall man stepped out with warrior strength and swan ease, the serpent swarmed towards him, stopping suddenly and floating serenely with a kind of devotion. Tiny currents rushed past Agla's head, and in each one the whisperings of a thousand snakes. Zovinas, Zovinas. Ah, here was Zovinas, the grass snake prince. Indeed, he was all magic and elegance and piercing gaze, and Agla did not protest when he took her hand. She did not protest when the millinery of green-eyed serpents whirled around them and sent them flying through a current, headlong and hand in hand, through silvery fish and green seaweed, and deep, deep in a cave at the bottom of the sea. as she descended and descended and then seemed to float in a blackness that was of the dream realm. She breathed in that opaque nothing and felt the bubbles of her breath flow out into that ether, yet could see nothing. Had not Zovinas's hand gripped her own, she might have lost all sense of her flesh and blood self. And in that rich void of opaque possibility, she remembered a time where a strange traveler from the north had passed through and had told stories of drums and soul journeys far beneath root and rock, so far that one could reach another sky dome. And as she remembered his tales, Agle saw shafts of light, and Zovina said, We are here. And as if passing from the watery world of the womb into the naked air of merging life, Agle felt air in her lungs again, and the shock of it made her gasp and gulp. And the light, too, after that wet darkness, felt like falling from a great height, and her knees gave way. Zovinas held her up and said, Look. Agle did, and her mind felt infant bewilderment. First, she saw how the summer sun whispered gold through ancient pines. How Saula, with her bright amber soul, fanned out shafts of sunlight like an ethereal peacock tail. How the golden glow of sun soul blazed and danced with the wind shifts. Agle, entranced, walked up a verdant hillock and saw the forest and meadow and distant hills stretch out infinitely. And in the middle, an elegant structure of wood and glass. Adelaide had only ever seen such perfect glass in the windows of a grand lord, a landowner of immense wealth. And with a pinnacle that seemed to beckon, this palace was all graceful curves and roundings, like snakes winding around the smooth bark of a fallen beech tree branch. It shone with the shimmering silver of the aspen and the pure white of birch. Agle was so taken with the sight that she did not immediately feel Zovinas take her hand. And when she looked at him, his fine serpent eyes smiled. You are queen of the serpents now, Agle.
in that impossible forest realm of strange and beautiful magics, Agne lived and moved and had her being, and her heart, combined with Zovinas's own, grew a love that fertilized and gave suck to all that lived there. And their joy took flesh when Agne bore four children, who were fed too, fed by mother milk and verdant tree soul. One fine afternoon, the queen of the serpents watched her three sons and her daughter splash and play in a pure blue lake. There was Ajolis, the strong and stalwart. Though young, he had a wise soul that gave the impression of gnarled old sailor's limbs, pockmarked like venerable ancient castle walls. There was sturdy Wasis, heroic length and thick tresses. There was Berjas, agile, skin lily-white and shining black hair like ink-black brushstrokes. And there is Drebele, quaking and shy, with hair glimmering silver in wind and sun. And watching over them all was Agle, with her ever-verting crown, arrow-like pointing, piercing the heights, always humming a great green, be it fierce winds or the bake of midsummer sun. And with old goddess flourishing grace, she burgeons from pointed crown to thick hip fullness, all those needle fronds atop a grounded trunk pillar. And she took great pleasure, deep, deep pleasure, in seeing the seed and tiny intent of her own being grow into pliant sinew and strong limb and glowing heart. To see her children emerge into something she could never have imagined was sublime, golden joy woven with cavernous unknowing. Her children perhaps like all children, whether of body or hand or mind, made both sunlight and shadow pass over the landscape of her face. Lost in her thoughts, Adelaide did not notice her eldest, Ajuoles, sit next to her. And when she did, she saw that he was staring at her intently. She knew this look this curious look that seemed to probe and dig without effort. "'What is it, child?' Agle asked. "'Mother. Surely you have a mother, a father. Why have I never seen them?' The question, set in both black cloud storm front and burning shafts of light across her mind and heart. Queen though she was, she was also still Agle and the question pierced her mind with sudden wrenching memories, her mother spinning flax and tending the rue in the garden, her brothers feeding goats, her father kissing her on the top of the head as they sat by the fire, swimming with her sisters, and then came the final memory of that fine summer day, bathing with her sisters. And the homesickness she felt was so acute, it was like vertigo a disorienting spinning of the soul. Mother probed her eldest son. Agle breathed in, said, Yes, I have a mother and father, and even brothers and sisters, but they, they are in a realm beyond realms, and they cannot travel here. And as the bright afternoon breathed out its golden intensity, and settled on the horizon with soft orange calm, and as twilight blue mingled with emerging star milk, Agle felt the shadows deepen in her own heart. She longed to see her family. Zovinas, king of the serpents, was a good steward of his kingdom, of strange magics and glass castles and vast woodlands. He could sense every minute movement, every minor coming and going, every slight slither and scurrying. And he could sense the vast continent of emotion, 
beneath the venting sighs and sinking countenance of his wife. She seemed to take no pleasure in the vibrant forest. During the month of Bergelis, she did not visit the groves where newly budded birches let loose willowy tresses and seemed to have an aura of life laughter. She seemed to only sit or pace while midsummer joy burst forth all around her. And during the month of Liepa, when the heat of summer air was diffused with linden blossoms and honeybees flitted among the blooms, Agle only glanced over the beauty with shadowed eyes. And after many days of this listlessness, Agle finally spoke to her husband. I long to see my mother and father and brothers and sisters. I long for our children to know something of their mother's land. Please grant me leave to return. Sylvanus paused, sighed, and placed his hands on his wife's shoulders. He felt the cutting vision in his gut and a strange premonition, a strange shock of stinging pain passed through his body. And like the finality of a scythe cutting stalks of wheat, he felt a bottoming loss, where all sounds are blank and all visions are hollow. And with a tone of, of mourning, Zelina said, if you can spin this tuft of silk, you may go. Egle smiled and set to work. With strong and pliant hands she spun and spun and spun and spun, yet the tuft did not grow smaller. And when summer twilight breathed rest into the world, she realized she could spin this enchanted silk into eternity, and it would never lessen. She needed a crone wisdom. Now, in a grove of deep, deep silence that could only be found with second sight, Agle had once glimpsed a straight-stick old woman of great height and with aspen silver hair feeding a roe deer from her hand. Her sleeves rolled up and her skirt tucked into her belt, Agle saw muscles and sinew as hard and smooth as surface tree roots and Agle had been struck by a sense of emaciated holiness and supple alchemy. And the queen of serpents sought out the grove crone and found her, bowing her head politely and saying, Grandmother, dear heart, help me. And the grove crone said, Child, you must throw that tuft of silk into a fire and keep what you have woven. This they did, for Grandmother always had a fire going, and within the flames, Agle gasped to see a fat toad spitting out silk. Then, in a thrust of reaching flame, they were all burnt, and the silk tuft was gone. And Agle, royal lady, approached her husband and handed him the spun silk. Now, will you grant me leave? And again, Zelvinas felt the cutting vision in his gut, and that strange premonition, that shock of stinging pain passed through his body, and he said, you must bake a pie before you go. Now, Agnes set to work, and again was thwarted in her efforts. She searched for a bucket to retrieve water, and ruffled through every cabinet and shelf for a bowl in which to mix the dough. High and low she searched, but could not find them. And frustrated, she went again to the silver-haired grove crone, and a second time said, Grandmother, dear heart, help me. And she did, telling her to spread out the leaven in a sieve, immerse the sieve in water, and mix the dough with that. And of course then she wouldn't need a bucket or a bowl. So Egley did, and made the pies and set them before her husband. Now, if she had not been so overcome by homesickness, she might not have noticed how pale Zelvinas's face was, trembling as if facing an imminent danger. 
but she did not see, and asked her husband again, Now will you grant me leave? With lowered gaze, Ovina sighed and said, Do you see the metal boots there on the ground? You must wear them down before you can leave. Agley remained silent, trembling, and jaw clenched. Without a word, she picked up the metal boots and stalked away. And when she visited the silver-haired crone in her grove of deep, deep silence, her sobbing echoed amidst the ancient trees. For this was truly an impossible task. Grandmother, dear heart. But Egle could not finish for her tears. And the crone said, Child, take them to a blacksmith and ask him to wear them down in his furnace. Adelaide did, and brought the worn-down boots to her husband, who sat in the beautiful glass castle, looking over the sun-drenched meadow and woodland. And now, in the silence of the throne room, Zelvinus felt again that bottoming loss, where all sounds are blank and all visions are hollow. And with the finality of the harvesting scythe, he gave in to it. You may go, my love, he said. And he called for their children, saying, But before you go, I will teach you the secret summons of serpent and sea, so that when you return to the shore, you can call me from the depths. And in the throne room, father and mother and children sang the secret summons until the words were infused with the many years of love that had grown between them, until the words were fattened, pregnant with the memories of honeyed feasts and tree-sheathed laughter, and twilights intertwined with hush and lullaby. again passed through the sea cave, this time leading rather than being led into that rich void of opaque possibility. She breathed in that dark nothing and felt the bubbles of her breath flow out into that ether, yet could see nothing, and her children clung to her and she could sense their terror and fascination. And when they emerged from the blackness into increasing light, when Agle and her children were carried by a magic current through silvery shoals of fish and whipping seaweed, she remembered seeing Zilvinas for the first time. Remembered his magic and elegance and piercing gaze when she first met him. And with this memory came a dread heavier than all the depths of the sea. The heaviness remained even when the lightness of air and white sand greeted her feet and skin, even when the chirping green and the golden glow of sun soul blazed and danced with the wind shifts. It remained, brooding and whispering, even when Agle and her children walked into the cottage clearing and her mother and father and brothers rushed out in babbling, gasping disbelief, hugging, weeping, kissing, asking and asking and repeating oh so many questions. And with the soft joy of ancestral skin touch, Agley nearly melted into the wave of soft ushering that brought her into her old home, that settled her at table and fed her the familiar richness of rye and butter. Salty tears round down the length of her cheeks and settled on her lips, mixing with the bread and butter cream. And yet, like whispering in a cave, 
this strange dread never decreased. It simply echoed amidst the tumult of reunion and assuaged grief. Perhaps then, it is no wonder that Agle did not see the brief tensing of jaws and the narrowing of eyes of her family as she described the realm, the beautiful realm, of the Serpent King. She did not perceive the slight shiftings and squared shoulders as she breathed out impossible visions of a glass castle which shone with the shimmering silver of the aspen and the pure white of birch. And as she introduced her beautiful children, supple and richly dressed, Agle did not see the blank detachment in the faces of her brothers. Then, when moonlight settled into the yawning children's souls and Agle ushered them to bed with kisses and hair strokes, she did not hear her brothers whispering conniving syllables outside in the cottage clearing. Ajuoles, Wasis, Berjas screamed for their mother as callous and sinew clamped down over their mouths, and they writhed with impressive strength in the grip of their uncles. Yet they were still boys for all that, and their twelve uncles overpowered the three sons of Agle. Drebele, the little daughter, remained sleeping, her slumber deepened by moonlight. And innocence. Through the night-shrouded woodland the three boys were carried, and to their muffled cries the forest seemed to respond, with barn owl shrieks and the nervous rustling of brush and animal. And once they were far from the cottage, the sons of Agle were dumped on the ground and encircled by their uncles, demanding pounding fists into palms. What are the words that will summon your father. Teach us the chant. And with their trembling refusal, the uncles moved closer with predatorial movement. First, Ajuelis was backhanded, his lip blood mingling with the midnight dew as he fell. Then Wasis was punched in the gut and his wheezing, gasping sounded ancient and monstrous in the dark woodland. Then Berjas, his nose cracked beneath a harvest-hardened fist, and with their silent refusal to speak the summoning words, came the fist and foot force of twelve men. And when the three boys lay still in the clearing, broken in soul and groaning through swollen lips, they still refused. Agle's brothers looked at one another, knowing the secret would remain hidden in their hearts and funeral shrouds if they continued their silence. And indeed they wondered if they could maintain the silence. The elder brothers of Ablet left the clearing after a whispered discussion and the remaining brothers guarded the battered boys. And when little Drebele, the little sister, her hair silvered by moonlight and her little limbs trembling, was dragged into the clearing. Her brothers could only groan their protests and watch through swollen eyes as their uncles now surrounded their little sister. Moving in closer, they cooed threats like possessed wood pigeons and showed her the scourge they had beaten her brothers with. Sinking to the ground and curling up into the fetal position, little Drebele wept and wept, her uncles nudging her with their feet and giving her sharp pinches all over her body. Then, when she thought the fear might stop her heart, she wept and sang out, sang out the summons. 
Zilvinas, dear Zilvinas, if alive, may the sea foam milk, and if dead, may the sea foam blood. Agle's brothers listened with terrible dark hearts to the secret summons, to words which were infused with the many years of love that had grown between the king, the queen, and their children, to words which were fattened, pregnant with the memories of honeyed feasts and tree-sheathed laughter, and twilights intertwined with hush and lullaby. And as Ajuales, Wasis, Berjas, and Drebule clung to each other, weeping, Agle's brothers took those words with them to the seashore. Amidst lowering clouds gray-faced with coming rain, cutting through rays of brilliant sun spotlighting the churning ocean, the chant resounded, and Agle's brothers stood ready for the harvest, their sides poised. They chanted, Zovinas, dear Zovinas, if alive, may the sea foam milk, and if dead, may the sea foam blood. And their dark hearts pushed a force of meanness into their throats, and so words once pregnant with memories of kith and kin and feasts and lullabies were now mocking, bitter, and as they chanted, the sea foamed at the mouth like an angry rabbit dog, and indeed, the sea foamed milk. Then Zovinas, king of the grass snakes, stood on that white sanded shore, all magic and elegance and piercing gaze. And his green eyes flared and his face set to see these twelve bladed men, rather than his beloved wife and children. And quicker than thought and hate, Agla's brothers rushed forward with their scythes, and quicker than snake magic, swiped those sharp blades, cutting the serpent prince like a stalk of wheat. And in the midst of this ambush, Zovinas breathed out a serpentine magic, and his soul voice darted into the heavens in slithering flight. Blood, blood mineral-rich and viscous, stained the white-sanded shores when Agle sang out her longing to Zovinas. And as the sea broiled red, she felt the cutting vision in her gut, and a strange shock of stinging pain passed through her body, like the finality of a scythe cutting stalks of wheat, she felt a bottoming loss where all sounds are blank and all visions are hollow. Scarlet wave followed scarlet wave, and Agle called out to Zovinas. Called, wept, and called and wept again as the sea became a slaughterhouse floor, and as the waves crashed a deep and whispering voice called out. Zovinas's soul voice sang out the deeds of her brothers, and of the quavering confession of her youngest daughter. Red waves scraped the shore with hissing breath, and all that lonely shore exposed the weeping sorrow of Agle and her children. With sobs to the heavens and fingers gripping fine sand, as flowing and ungraspable as Zilvinas' soul voice, to hear what was left of husband and father was more than they could bear. And when the scarlet, broiling waves began to clear, and all that was left was the world, as it normally was, when sea and sky and towering pine continued on with not even a passing thought or whisper that Zilvinas ever was, Agle and her children dragged heavy feet and laden hearts 
into the forest. Knowing that she could never again return to her family, to her home of murderous brothers, Agle felt that she now stood between two worlds and a citizen of neither. A citizen of a borderland, a swathed out unknown vastness. Then she remembered. She remembered the Grove Crone saying that in the borderlands of our world and others, there is an apothecary of soothing magic. So, Agle kissed each of her children and kneeled down to put her ear to the earth. She opened her mouth and whispered the enchantment of woody root and sunsweet sap and grooved bark. She hissed the magics of serpent tongue and the quiet dark of burrows, and her chants, part penance and part opiate, made her eyes and the eyes of her children go heavy. They all sighed, part penance and part opiate, as their skin breathed out all moisture and hardened, hardened like bark, hardened with treeish stoicism. Azuelus became oak, the strong and stalwart with gnarled old sailor's limbs, pockmarked like venerable old castle walls. Wasis became ash, heroic length and thick tresses. Berjas became birch, agile, bark lily white and accentuated with ink black brushstrokes. And little Drebule became aspen, quaking yet glimmering silver in wind and sun. But over them all was Agle, spruce, with her ever-verdant crown, arrow-like pointing, piercing the heights, always humming a great green, be it fierce winds or the bake of midsummer sun. With old goddess flourish and grace, Spruce towered over her children, and still does to this day. Manovay Kelly, Rose, 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 Manovay Kelly,